Welcome to Fireside Nets, the number one podcast for Brooklyn Nets everything. We are on episode 183, and as always, we're your hosts. I'm Spen, he's Pete, and this fan base has reached its breaking point with ownership, with the front office, the head coach, just about damn near every single player on this team, with with maybe, you know, a few exceptions, Pete. First of all, before we get into this dumpster fire that that is the Brooklyn Nets, how are you doing otherwise? I'm doing uh, rather lovely. How are you doing? I can't complain. Despite the temperature, you know, where we live being below 20 degrees every single day. Frozen. Um, Just, yeah, you can't go outside without getting frostbite at this point. Uh, (laughs) Nothing in my personal life outside of my marriage has been going great. Everything's just been shit. Oh. No, I don't want to say that because work's been okay. My work and my marriage have been good. Everything else just just sucks, and that includes the Brooklyn Nets. They're a, they're a huge reason. You know, if I wasn't a Nets fan, Pete, I could say my life would be exponentially better. How about you? Oh, absolutely. Well, when the Nets win, everything else is put in like rainbow uh, colored glasses. Everything's better. The food tastes better. The water is wetter. The days at work seem shorter. It's it's beautiful. It's lovely. The wine, you can taste the grapes more and the wine you drink. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't couldn't agree with you more. Uh, and it's not even that the Nets are losing, right? Because I think that, you know, we can take losing. It's how we're losing and why we're losing. I, I think the how and the why are, are, are a major point uh, in regards to Nets fans reaching their breaking point at this at this moment with the organization. So without further ado, I, I want to start this show by talking about the trade deadline, you, you know, because it's not all bad for Brooklyn. We, we have the deadline so general managers like Sean Marks can make change and, and they can try something new. And uh, there have been two rumors that have flown across my desk this morning. And we'll start with the point guard of the Atlanta Hawks, or at least one of them, DeJounte Murray. He is the golden goose for Brooklyn. What is it going to take to get him to Brooklyn? And is this a move you think might not, you know, make the Nets a contender this season, but is this a move that would help the Nets for the foreseeable future in the Eastern Conference? He's putting up 21 points a game, four rebounds, five assists. But uh, throw away the stats. I think he's 27 years old. He's going to start a new deal. I think it's like a four-year, 100-something million Come starting next year. Uh, the timeline is perfect. This is would not be a win now move for this year, but think about it. We need a point guard, fits the timeline. According to what deals that Shams have been throwing out, uh it, it looks too perfect. This guy's a bucket getter. We need a bucket getter. We need to get uh Mikhail Bridges off the ball. <clears throat> it's just too perfect, man. Uh what, what do you think? I love it for, for every reason you said, and you know, there's this, there's this, I don't want to call it an aura with Brooklyn, but when guys get here, they're hungry. 
I've noticed that since the, you know, even with when we had KD and Kyrie, when we would acquire our free agents, they wanted to be here because of those guys. But it was also like, like everyone wants to be in the city. And if you can't be in New York, you come to Brooklyn. You know, you saw it with a lot of guys this season that we picked up. The Lonnie Walkers, the Dennis Smith Juniors, the Trendon Watfords. These guys came in here to prove a point. And there was a re- like Lonnie Walker. It was a Dennis Smith Jr. He could have signed elsewhere. Right, right. These guys had opportunities. They chose Brooklyn. So I look at DeJounte Murray, obviously unhappy about his situation. The Hawks want to move on from him. He would fit perfectly here for, for all those reasons that you mentioned and, and just in terms of a change of scenery. Now, there are players on the Nets that also would like a change of scenery. Our starting point guard, Spencer Dinwiddie. If you can find a way to move Dinwiddie and maybe one pick. I, I think moving two picks would be asinine for the Nets. But if you have to move one pick and and uh, a role player like a Dorian Finney-Smith or like a Royce O'Neal, if you're able to get the Hawks on the hook for a package like that, it's a no-brainer. Well, let, let me let me tell you. I actually had a mock trade myself. Of course, everybody's mock trade sucks. Completely sucks. So this is my mock trade that sucks, okay? Except I'm, I'm I think it. this one makes a little more sense than usual. Dorian Finney-Smith, we're going to trade him to OKC. We're going to get two first-rounders from them. They have 100 first-rounders the next two years. You know, whether we get it from uh, OKC or another team, whatever it may be, whatever one they own, we'll get, I don't know, I'll be fair. Let's say we get one first-rounder and a second-rounder, okay? We're going to take that. We're going to get back Bertans. uh, With Dave Bertans, am I saying his name right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, he has a $17 million contract for this year, but next year he's owed only $5 million. So we can just cut him. Not a big thing on the cap. Not a lot of uh, financial implications. Big deal here are the picks. We're going to take those picks and maybe throw in 25, uh, 2025 Suns pick, maybe that Philly pick. We're going to throw it to Atlanta. We give them Dinwiddie. Clean cap move. And uh, it's. I think it makes sense for everybody. If I'm Sean Marks right now, I'm making you assistant GM because that was beautiful. He I, I, I he should, and that wasn't a stupid idea. That was better than half the uh, half the idiots on the the X machine posting mock dra- mock trades. So I, I give you a lot of credit, Pete. That was outstanding. Thank you, sir. We don't compliment each other enough on this show. We, we no, should do that. We, we mostly be shit on each other, but it's kind of funny as, that way. As we as we lose viewers on the live stream, as I give Pete a compliment, what you guys want us to be jerks <laughs> to each other? Is that you it? Like each other, your friends. Not to mention, I mean, the last few weeks, ever since Trey Young's been hurt, Murray's hit a few game winners. He, he's just, he's looked like that missing piece for Brooklyn, right? Where like, do they have, you, have you scouted him, quote unquote, scouted him? I mean, like, watch his highlights. Man, he does stuff that this this team does not have. Well, I was, I was going to say, what is the Nets' major problem in the fourth quarter? Getting a bucket, close, right? getting a bucket, closing out games. There's only one guy that's kind of been clutch this year, and it's been Mikael Bridges. He's been the only guy in, in the fourth who's willing to take the shot, and he's made a few big shots, a few big free throws down the stretch. You get a guy like Murray in there, I don't think that what happened against the Clippers happens. I, I just Absolutely. don't. I don't think right. you, you blow as many fourth-quarter leads with a guy like Murray who can steady the offense. He can get a mid-range bucket. That's where he lives. But this year, I, I mean, I'm you know, you're a st- stats guy. I know his three-point percentage has improved. I've seen that all over X. Um, I, I'm just – I'm very 
excited about the potential of, of adding a guy like Murray. And you're right. While it might not be win now, it's definitely a move where other players around the league, Oh shit, the nets, the nets got DeJounte Murray. All right. I can, I can play with him. He's a dog. He's, he's a leader. Let me tell you, this is how it's going to unlock the offense. Bridges this year, I think is struggling because he has the ball in his hand a little bit too much. He's known to be an elite off the ball scorer, 40% catch and shoot, 40% from the corners. You get Murray, you bring him into the offense. He could hold the ball. He could pass the ball. And you just unlock Bridges by putting him in the situation he probably should have been in from the very beginning. And I think they would really work well together. I really do. Murray's playing off the ball right now in Atlanta because when Trey Young was healthy. And uh, that's not his game. His game is to kind of hold the ball. And I think it kind of makes sense, man. It just, this makes too much sense to me. It really does. Which is why I don't know if the Dets will do it. No, There's so many not. moves that that make sense. They Marks just doesn't pull the trigger on, but then he pulls some rabbit out of his ass, which like actually sometimes occasionally works out. Um, shout out to Luigi Dabber four five seven. He gives Pete props for his mock trade. He just wrote that's a good trade. Oh, so thank you, sir. I thanks like for you. the Add feedback. Twitter, I'll call you back. Thanks for the feedback, Dabber four fifty seven. Um, all right. So there is a plan B according to Nets Nets Twitter. Uh, and and actually this this comes straight from Sham Sharania. The Hawks. So the Lakers are very interested in Murray. I, I I think they're the team that you know right now they're they're on the cusp of being they're, they're around five hundred. Uh, they're trying to get back into the playoffs. Obviously with LeBron and Anthony Davis, you can always make a run, but they need to get there. Um, they've been clicking a little bit better as of late, despite losing to the Nets uh, a few nights ago. Uh, but Murray, yeah, that that's a potential landing spot for him. Now the Hawks want nothing to do with Lakers point guard D'Angelo Russell. So the, the report is that the Hawks want to find a third team to make this trade with. Pete, would it make sense for the Nets to be that third team from a logistics standpoint? And then sort of, sort of part B of this question, do you even want D'Angelo Russell back at this point? You know, it makes a lot of sense until you look at the Lakers draft picks and realize they just traded their last pick to Atlanta in that deal, right? So that means we'd be getting D'Lo possibly for for nothing. We'd be helping the Lakers for nothing. Now, do you value D'Angelo Russell enough to say, listen, we'll just take on that contract? And listen, you know, he's been kind of hot lately. I would not be opposed to that, but I I need a pick back, man. Too many deals we're doing that we don't get back a pick. I I don't think a second rounder would do it for me maybe a, a protected first somewhere down the line. But the thing is, it's probably going to have to come from Atlanta. Atlanta doesn't want to give up a pick. So we're kind of at a stalemate here. I don't not like D'Angelo Russell as a player. I don't. But as you're in this retooling, you know, time period for the Brooklyn Nets, he just doesn't make sense. He's been there before. You moved on from him. You tried to do this with Spencer Dinwiddie, and it looks like it's not going to end very pretty. Despite Dinwiddie playing a little bit better the last few games, I don't think that he he all of a sudden wants to stay in Brooklyn. I think he still wants out. So you're going to replace oh, one oh, former. That, that, by the way, I do have some inside info that I can now share with you and, and the people if you'd like to get into the Dinwiddie news. 
I heard about this about two months ago. I had someone come up to me and tell me I have, you know, I'm, I'm not a source guy, whatever. Sometimes people talk to me and whatnot. Spencer Dinwiddie has been trying to get out of Brooklyn pretty much since almost the beginning of the year. Sean Morris promised him, or at least he felt that he was promised or led to believe that he was going to be traded a lot earlier out in the year. The deal did not happen. We heard from Michael Scotto, and I heard of, around that two-month time also that he got offered a one-year and a two-year deal, money not market value, and uh, he took it personally. Not a fan of Marks right now, and it's just funny. Uh, people have been saying he's kind of on like a, a, a kind of a mutant. Um, how can I say this? A strike. They, they refer to it as a strike. Yeah. He's going on strike and whatever. It's just funny to me about a month away from the deadline, all of a sudden it's turned right back on. It's almost as if he wants to build up his value for the trading deadline. The last three games, check this out, 18 points, 57% from the field, 61% from three. I think he's like 11 of 18 from three. He's also averaging six assists. Just very funny. All of a sudden, we're getting closer to the deadline. He wants to leave, and now the numbers are going up. Well, let's not get it twisted, Pete. So you have your sources that, that I, I respect the hell out of They're that. Very good sources. Who do you think leaked the report that Spencer Dinwiddie was on strike? I think it was well known for a very long time. Uh, no, to, but people in, in the know-how. But Pete, how did that you get know, to the media? Think about it. We're, well, we you like to compliment. No, him and Scott, I think of uh Done a couple of interviews. I don't think that Spencer Dinwiddie leaked the report that Spencer Dinwiddie is on strike. I think maybe his employer might have leaked that report. He's a very smart guy. If, you are. If if he leaked, if the Nets, if the Nets leaked that report, Dinwiddie sees it. He obviously posted the Instagram. You remember we I, I we I talked about it last week with Saint. Shout out to Saint. He just joined the uh joined the live stream. Uh in, in the comments, he wrote spaces, lol. What up, gentlemen? Um Saint. My point is Dinwiddie sees that report, which might or might not have been leaked by the Nets, sees that he's on strike, realizes, okay, I got to pick it up. Me shooting the ball four to five times a game, doing nothing and and, and not helping the team is going to do nothing for my trade value. These these last two games specifically against the Clippers and against the Lakers, uh, he has picked it up. Against the Lakers, he had 19 points, five of 11 from the field, four of eight from three, five of five from the free throw line. He was a plus 10 in that game against the Lakers. And then against the Clippers, 16 points, six of nine from the field, four of six from three with seven assists and one turnover. So check out against Portland also 19 points, five of eight from the field, three of four from three, seven assists. It's about the last three games. It's very interesting. It it was right after that report came out that he was on strike, which I don't think he put out. Because I don't think that think if you're, you're a player, right. you would want that out there. So um, very interesting stuff. But, yeah, in terms of D'Angelo Russell, I, I just don't like the move. I don't like the fit for Brooklyn. Um, yeah. I, like, if you're Marks, don't just make a move to make a move. It has to make sense. So love DeJounte Murray in Brooklyn. Don't love D'Angelo Russell. Speaking of the Clippers game, we got to talk about it. Uh The title of this episode is Nets fans have reached a breaking point. And just when you think it could not get any worse, the game against the Clippers happens. So Clippers, we beat them uh, a few weeks, a few months ago, actually 
it was the second game that they had the big three or the big four with Harden, Westbrook, Kawhi, and Paul George. We took them down. Again, I don't, I didn't hold a lot of stock in that win. They had just lost to the Knicks as well. New, new team, new chemistry. Got to figure it out. This game against them the other night, they had zero excuses. I, I mean, they've been one of the hottest teams in the West. They've been playing really good basketball. They don't have their starting center in Zubats, but the rest of the team pretty much healthy. So, Pete, the Nets started this game on a 16 to nothing run. Mikhail Bridges had maybe one of the quickest buckets I've ever seen off the tip. Quick three-pointer, got it to go. The Nets looked really, really good for three and a half quarters of this game. Fourth quarter rolls around. I'm watching. I knew something bad was going to happen. You just, you had a feeling they could not sustain it the entire game. And Pete, what happened? 22 to nothing run to close the game for the Clippers. They outscored the Nets. The Nets outscored the Clippers in every single quarter. And in the fourth quarter, they were outscored 41 to 15. Just, just let that sink in for a second. 41 to 15, and they outscored the Clippers in every single other quarter. They lost this game by 11 points. They had 114 with a little over five minutes left, I think, or maybe a little under around that mark. And they finished the game. They finished the game with 114. Just what's your reaction to hearing that? All right. In bass, I got to clear my throat. Yeah. Take a second. In basketball, there's runs. The talent usually always comes to the top, right? We could say that most of the time. This is not one of those times. Yes, the Clippers are way better than us, but there's no excuse to lose a game like that. There's no excuse that you couldn't get a bucket in the last five minutes, and it really comes down to the coaching. Why was there no timeout? Like, I know everyone's saying it, like, that's the obvious thing. But really, like, if you're on your couch as a fan screaming for a timeout, what do you think they're thinking on the bench? Was it worth it to let them, quote-unquote, work through it? It's obvious they were struggling. You don't get a bucket in the last five minutes. Uh, that, that That's a serious issue. That's a coaching itch, issue. Let's say he would have called the timeout. Let's say he would have switched things up, and you still get the same result. At least you tried to adapt. If you're dying in the water, why let well, why let them drown? I don't get it. It doesn't make sense uh, from a coaching perspective. I've been pretty – I think not just me. The entire fan base has been fairly critical of Jacques Vaughn these last few weeks, and, and rightfully so. Like I said earlier, it's not about losing basketball games. It's how we're losing. An 18-point lead in the fourth quarter. I don't care – if your JV team is out there, you should be able to protect that lead with NBA play with, with a mainly healthy roster, right? Like the only guy who didn't play yesterday was, was basically Simmons. The, the Nets have pretty much everybody on the court that, that, you know, should be on the court with the exception of Ben Simmons. And after the, after the game, Mikhail Bridges had this quote and this stuck with me. He said, they went small Reddit everything. I'm not necessarily sure what that means, but I think he's talking about switching. Then we were stuck. Didn't know what to do with how to break it. Mikhail Bridges, your star player, your, your franchise stud is saying that 
they didn't know how to do something collectively on the basketball court. That is 100% on Jacques Vaughn. This isn't the first game of the season. This isn't the 10th game of the season. We are halfway through the NBA season. And you're telling me that they don't know how to switch? That that to me is is just that's inexcusable. I don't understand what that means. Um, and I'm I'm you know I, I know Vaughn was quoted after the game about oh, this was a good lesson you know learned or, or whatever he said. Enough with learning lessons. No one wants to hear that. This is a mainly veteran team with a few young guys, but you're halfway through the season. The, the time for learning is over. You can't be losing games like this in this fashion to just be outscored 22 to nothing in the final five minutes of the game. Can't even, can't even score one basket, Pete. Can't call one timeout, change up the defense a little. I understand Claxton was in foul trouble. That, that shouldn't necessarily lose you a basketball game. You're on mute, my friend, my co-host, my beautiful. You're still, there you go. There you go, yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm a professional podcaster. Uh, fourth quarter, we have Bridges taking two shots, minus 20 in the plus minus. Cam Thomas, minus 26. Clippers hit, what, 12 is 12 is 16, 5 is 7 from 3. It's just it's just ridiculous numbers. It's just ridiculous numbers. Uh, like, it's not even, at this point, like you said, it's not even the talent. Uh he said something about being readied. I'm not sure. I, I think what he was referring to was they weren't able to break the Clippers' defense when they went to mobile. Uh, listen, you're supposed to have a game plan for this shit. <laughs> like, I, I, right. I, I, I don't get it. Like, I, listen, I'm not an NBA guy. I'm not, I'm not on the sideline. But I would have to think that there should be something around, okay, when the Clippers go mobile, uh, this is our uh, focus of attack. Like, uh, I, I don't get it. It's like they were completely surprised, and he let them drown. JV not let them drown. Not to mention you knew Zubats wasn't playing in this game. So you knew that small ball was a possibility. Um, You know, the one thing, and I, I don't want to beg on any of these players, right? It's weird. You and I are podcasters to criticize these. I mean, it's not our job, but we, we do a Nets podcast. We have to be, have to be uh, honest. Cam Johnson has been, he has underperformed more than anybody on this Nets roster for me. It, it, it seems like he's, he's streaky with the three and he's supposed to be an elite three-point shooter. Doesn't really do much scoring in the paint. Defensively, he's a, he's, he was a cone yesterday. I'm sorry. He, he, he does nothing for me defensively. At some point, if you're Jacques Vaughn, you have to go with Lonnie Walker uh, Royce O'Neal, Cam Thomas. I know Cam Thomas played down the stretch yesterday, so that's that's a bad example. But you have to try someone instead of Cam Johnson because he – I know it was that game against Portland, right, where he went in with a little – like I think five minutes left, and he immediately w- went one of three. He, he always misses momentum-changing shots. That's what drives me nuts. Every time, you know, the Nets are about to lose a lead or, or, or the Nets need a big shot, it seems like Cam Johnson is is the one to take that, and he's the one to miss it. And this is a make-or-miss league. He's been missing a lot of shots. And I'm okay with you if you miss shots, if you're going to give me Dennis Smith effort on defense. You're going to give me DFS intensity on defense. He does not bring that. So if he's not bringing defense and he's not bringing offense, why the hell is he out there? Is it because we paid him a lot of money in the offseason, Pete? 
I don't really know the answer. Is it because he's really good friends with Mikhail Bridges and they're the Brooklyn Bridges and they're, they're twins? They're not the same guy. I have friends that are twins. One of them is, is good in, 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 in some, you know, facets of life and the other is good in other facets of life, but I wouldn't necessarily put them together if, if I needed one of them to do a job. Um, that was the stupidest analogy in the entire world, but I think you know where I'm coming from. I, I'm tired of the, the, you know, uh, people saying, well, Cam Johnson's here because he's boys with Mikhail Bridges and, and you, you needed to pay Cam to keep Mikhail. That's ridiculous. He has been hurting the Nets both offensively and defensively. And when I talk about Jock Vaughn and I talk about changes, I need to see something done about that. Well, you're not going to. Because I'm going to tell you why. Hit me. They had to pay him not because he's friends with Mikel Bridges, but because he was one of the main pieces of the KD deal. How would have it looked if he would have went to Detroit on a deal and all of a sudden we have Bridges and these draft picks and that's it? Some people say, oh, I would love that. You would have been roasting marks in the summer. Don't even. Keep in mind, this is a guy who hit big shots in the NBA Finals, CJ, right? He's hit clutch shots in his past. So you expect him to do it here, and it's not happening. If you remember, I picked him as my uh, my guy who was going to disappoint me this year. And I've been right. Should he have gone to FIBA? No, he should have not. I'm going to keep on, I'm going to keep on saying it. Even since then, he kind of looked a little off. He was starting, remember he started, and then all of a sudden towards the end of FIBA, he was on the bench, barely playing. You know, it's it's a disappointment, but the Nets paid him for who he's going to be in a year or two from now, and that's what Nets fans have to keep in mind. He's still, I know, it's annoying, it sucks, it fucking sucks, but that's the truth. They're, they're paying him for what they think he's going to be, not who he is. I get and it. he's I not get a power it. forward. He's a small forward. Sorry to cut you off. Well, no, you're good. I mean, the last few games, he's been playing small forward, right? Because they've been starting DFS and clacks. Yeah, I, I think he's a lot better as a small forward, in my opinion. I don't think he's I don't think he's a, a four. I'm with you. Um, I don't know. I just he's been the, the biggest disappointment. And shout out to you for being right. I do not remember your preseason uh picks, but I, I you know, I, I give you credit for for picking Cam Johnson to be the biggest disappointment because he has. Um, all right. I did want to talk about the Lakers win. I think what makes this season so tough for Nets fans to swallow is you see the way we played against the Lakers. 130, 112 was the final. And let me tell you, Pete, Spencer Dinwiddie, Nick Claxton, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Thomas, Lonnie Walker, Dennis Smith Jr. And Cam Johnson, one, two, three, four, five, seven guys in double figures. Almost Everybody played well in this game. I, I mean, Cam Thomas was your leading scorer with 33 off the bench. He was insane. He just he was in one of those Cam Thomas zones where he was the best player on the court with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, which is ridiculous to say. But he was. That was a fact. Dinwiddie showed up. He hit four threes in this game. Claxton, 11-16 from the field, 22 points and 14 rebounds. He won in a matchup with Anthony Davis. Claxton, when Claxton wants to be, he can be the real deal. By the way, only three personal fouls in this game for Claxton. That was the, the trouble in the Clippers game. He had, he had uh, I think, four fouls really quickly into that second half, and then he picked up his fifth, I want to say, either late in the third or early in the fourth. But he was able to stay out of foul trouble in this one, put up a really good stat line. 
Mikhail Bridges, you did not need a lot from him. He was 6 of 11 from the field, 17 points. Lonnie Walker off the bench, 6 to 7 from the field for 15 points. So you were able to just handle a Lakers team that had been playing pretty decent as of late. Um, and I think, Pete, what, what makes the season so frustrating is we're not the Pistons. We're not the Wizards. We're not the Grizzlies. We're not as bad as those teams because we have games like this where you're like, oh, shit, you just beat LeBron James and Anthony Davis who, who – Treated this like, a, you know, we were on primetime television. This was um, 1030 Los Angeles on ESPN, and we beat them on primetime TV. And if you don't think that's another reason why Spencer Dinwiddie showed up to that game, <laughs> I, I think it is. Don't think about it. The last two games have been, I think, nationally televised, right? Was the Clippers game on Sunday nationally televised? Uh, I don't think so. Or maybe it was on you. Okay, regardless, it's LA, might be wrong. Dinwiddie played his ball in, in, in Colorado, so he's he's used to this West Coast, and I know he would he would probably welcome being a Laker or a Clipper. Well, if, he's if from LA. He's a Lakers from fan. LA. There you he's go. Right. Yeah, that's, that's nice. He was a huge Kobe guy. Yeah. Um, but that yeah, so that that for me, like Cam Thomas, he was he was the chef in this game. He was cooking. Uh, everybody played well. If you get these performances from the Nets, and then they closed it out in the fourth quarter. By the way, outscored the Lakers thirty to twenty two in the fourth. That's that's the type of play that makes Nets fans crazy because we have we we see that one out of every six games. Unfortunately, I'm going to break your heart right now and other than Nets fans' heart. This is a case of a team that was due, and they just they were just on fire. I, I don't think it's indicative of the talent, to be honest. I hate to say it, you know, CT. We're used to seeing that, but how often do we, like you said, how often do we have seven guys going double digits? It's not going to happen too often. Uh, I, I think it's a case of a team that was just due catching fire. I really do, sadly. I'm not going to knock the effort. Good effort. Proud of them. Good job. We needed a win. Felt like we hadn't gotten a win in a month. But, uh, but yeah, not, not, not much to say. You know, I, I guess for, for me, the attention to detail and the focus seemed to be there more so in that fourth quarter against the Lakers than it was in the, for the Clippers. And yeah, I think the Clippers gave us a much better punch than the Lakers did. You, you thought that the Lakers would give us something. They really didn't. Um, yeah. I just, I, I don't know. I get what you're saying in terms of they were hot. They didn't miss, but this was a complete game by the Nets. They played four quarters. So, uh, Oh, by the way, I don't know if I mentioned Dennis Smith jr. He had 11. So it was, he was, I, I think I did mention him. So that was the seventh, seventh guy in double figures. Um, all right, Pete. I wanted to get to Nets Twitter because it's just been exploding. After every single loss, the frustration mounts and people people just go nuts. So first bit of news I want to talk about is Ben Simmons' agent, Bernie Lee, clapping back at skeptical Nets fans today. So Eric Slater, um, I'm not sure who he covers the Nets for. I don't have it on me, but I know he covers the Nets. He had a tweet. Basically, I'm paraphrasing here. He said... If, if you're going to bank on Ben Simmons to fix the Nets issues, that would be insane because he never, you know, his lack of availability. So to think a guy who has been unreliable during his tenure here is going to fix everything. Eric Slater basically wrote, that's insane. Bernie Lee responded with, he's going to fix their issues. So that was his first response. Brooklyn Netcast commented in response to, to Bernie Lee's tweet. And I think he wrote, you know, he they wrote for all Nets fans when they wrote, and I'm paraphrasing again, hey, Bernie, respectfully, 
it's fair for Nets fans to not believe in him because he hasn't been around. To which Lee pretty much doubled down and said, hey, that's fair. I get it. He's been out for a while, but he's going to fix their issues. So, Pete, my question to you, and, and shout out to Eric Slater and shout out to Netcast for uh, for giving us that commentary with, with Ben Simmons' agent. Is this a respectful move by Bernie Lee, or is it a desperate move for Ben Simmons' agent to clap back at Nets Twitter? He's backing his guy, so it's very respectful to Ben Simmons. But it's an extremely desperate move. How often do you go online and see players, players' agents going and talking about their players, especially when it's something like this? You never, you never see this. You never see this. It's an extremely desperate move. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he got annoyed because let's let's face it, man. Ben Simmons has gotten hammered in in the in the Twitter in the X. And uh, Eric Slater uh, covers the Nets for clutch points, by the way. Just wanted to throw that in there for him. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, man. You never see that. So it's very interesting to see that. You never see a player's agent do that. Very, very interesting. Yeah. I uh, Have you ever heard of that happen or seen that? Never. No, I think it's wild. I think the fact – well, listen. So, I mean, he he responded to Eric Slater, who's a legitimate reporter who covers the Nets for clutch points. It's not like he responded to to you or me, our personal yeah. accounts. So, obviously, he he picked a, a reputable account to do it. I think it's wild. I think it's a wild move to have to try to put up a – you know, like to fight Ben Simmons' battles for him. Like, just let the guy return and let his play do the talking. Why do you have to convince Nets Twitter – that your client is yeah was it desperate 100 he's trying to save face for ben simmons with the fan base by going to x by by writing by by sticking up for his guy um it's a wild move that's all i got <laughs> i was expecting a little bit more juice but you know you think about it like when was the last time you see that you see rich uh you know the rich pauls maybe be vocal but that's about it, and that's far and few between. It, you got to respect the guy for backing Ben. You know that's his guy, and he's really putting it out there, man. Like well, uh, really putting it out there. The other thing is like, okay, obviously he doesn't have to respond, but Eric Slater just retweeted Bernie's response, and he wrote, "No shortage of confidence from Ben Simmons' camp and his ability to return and contribute for an extended period." What are they going to say? He's not re- like. What are they going to say? He's going to come back and not be good. They, yeah, they can't not stop, build him up. Like he pays them money to represent him. That fifty percent, man. Fifty. Fifteen. 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 You said that makes a lot more sense than fifty. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I know you expected more juice from me. I'd like. I couldn't even think of something to write to the guy. Like I, the fact that he's he's fighting with Nets Twitter and he's he's responding to Netcast and the whole thing is just like it shows how bad it is, man. What do you say? Shows shows how bad it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Other players anyway. responded too on Twitter today. I don't know if you saw. I did. Spencer Dinwiddie took that. rounds. You saw Claxton. Uh, who, what was the Claxton thing? Remind me about that. The Claxton thing was um, Billy Reinhardt, uh, who who covers the Nets. He he. So one of the 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 worst parts of that comeback that the Clippers made was as the Nets were struggling, there was an offensive possession where Claxton very early in the shot clock took an uncharacteristic uh, baseline three. Why is that uncharacteristic? He averages less than one three-point attempt per game. 
It's usually at the end of the shot clock if he has to put it up. And every now and again, I'll hit one. Like, like I'm not saying Claxton can't hit an end of the shot clock jumper. But that shot is not in his portfolio. That early in the shot clock, baseline three, I don't care how open he was. So Billy Reinhardt, basically, he wrote something. I don't remember what the tweet was, but referencing how bad of a shot selection that was and, and why that just was a, not, a terrible decision on Claxton's part. And Claxton just responded with why. And I think that the answer is kind of obvious. I feel like that wasn't really a question. It was more of a statement. You lost the game. The other team went on a 22 to nothing run. At that point, every offensive possession is meaningful, right? Even if you get a miss, get a good look at the rim. It, and that's what, that's what sucks. It's not like the Nets were getting great looks and missing. They were not getting good looks at all. That is not a good look. Nick Claxton, I, I love you. I love your game. I, I I want you to be a net for life if possible. But you can't defend that shot. I think it's more of a frustration thing. Like, like let's be honest. Nothing else is working. I, I don't know. It's just, it's just when things are bad, frustration mounts, and the social media gets used. That's usually how it goes. Talk to me about the Dinwiddie social media stuff because that was a lot more interesting. That was a lot more than just a why. Honestly, I don't even have it in front of me. I think it was like it was showing his stats or something like that. And, uh, oh, someone was comparing him to Kuzma and Jordan Poole, and he said that he's shooting better than both of them. I thought that was hilarious. And, uh, you know, Dinwiddie's taking a lot of shit this year, and it's I, I like that he's kind of defending himself, even though a lot of uh, – you could say a lot of the criticism is self-imposed, depending if you believe in the strike or not. But uh, I, I thought that was funny, man. Spencer Dinwiddie's commented to me a couple times. He comments to a couple of the guys on that Twitter a couple times. Uh, little jabs here and there or something funny. You know, it's it's uh, it's somewhat common. Here's what I'll say about, about the Dinwiddie stuff. I like that no matter what happens before the deadline – I like that he's playing decent basketball. Whether or not you know you believe the the strike report or when he was checked out for those several games, um, I like that it's not ending that way. He seems to be picking it up. He seems to be getting more involved in the offenses of late, taking more three point shots. In that Lakers game, he was about as aggressive as I've seen him all year. He was going to the free throw line. Um, so I like that part you know, of Dinwiddie just, just kind of clapping back at the critics and being like, Hey, I'm on strike. Take this 19 and this W in LA take, take this, you know, aggression against the Clippers. Uh, and, and he, he's showing out in terms of the Twitter stuff. Like I get it. I think that they're Dinwiddie is one of those guys, in the NBA, I think he should, his game should get a little bit more respect from the general public. And I don't think it does. I and, agree he's bounced around a lot. You know, he was on the Mavs. They, they wanted to get better. They, they wanted, um, obviously they wanted the upgrade with Kyrie, which is kind of ironic because when we got rid of Dinwiddie, it was more or less because we didn't have a spot for him with Harden, with Durant. And he also didn't want to be here anyway, but you know, it, it, him and D'Lo are always those guys that teams trade to get the upgrade. And they're not bad basketball players. D'Angelo Russell yeah. was an all-star in Brooklyn. Spencer Dinwiddie has had some really, really good years. Um, with the Mavericks, he was great when they made that run. And then in the playoffs, he was great. And then with, with Brooklyn, that first stint, he was awesome. So I, I understand why he specifically 
will defend himself on Twitter because I do think he gets a bad rap. And I think sometimes it's unwarranted. I agree. I agree. I, I need one more Dinwiddie moment before he gets traded. I need one, maybe one game winner or just like a 35 point game or something like that. I'm dying for to have that one more, you know, I guess, uh, not Hail Mary, but, uh, uh, I don't know, game to, to see him on his way, I guess you could say. Also, the other thing with, with the whole Dinwiddie-Dennis Smith thing is, like, you thought it was over when Vaughn started benching Dinwiddie down the stretch and playing Dennis Smith Jr. Yeah. And then absolutely. that kind of changed the last few games. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. in that Clippers game, I don't think that you should have summed out, sun, subbed out Dinwiddie for Dennis Smith Jr., but you definitely could have took out Cam Johnson. You know what? You lead me to this question, and I've been thinking about this. I'm so happy I just remembered it. We talk about, you know, oh, so-and-so player lost uh, how many games over the year? How many games do you think Jock Vaughn has lost the Nets over this season? I could think at least five. <laughs> at least five, maybe even close to ten. It's definitely, like, really? it's definitely a few. It's definitely a few. It, it, look, there, there are two guys – that are part of this Nets team right now uh, without going at the front office or Joe side that I've, I've had major beef with, and that's Cam Johnson. And that's Jacques Vaughn. Jacques Vaughn has absolutely lost us several close games with his decision-making with his lack of timeouts, that game against Portland, not calling a timeout to lose that game was ridiculous. Portland times two. That's three already. That's already three. How many? Like, think about like what we're we could have been close to five hundred, right? Like, I I'll give you a play that just drove me crazy. As the Clippers were coming back in that fourth quarter, early in that fourth quarter, Vaughn did call a timeout, and it was before they they really made their run. And the first play out of that timeout was a turnover, and a two point layup on the other end for the Clippers. Do you remember that? Out of a timeout. You should never turn the ball over, ever, ever. I don't care if that was a miscommunication between Bridges, Dennis Smith Jr., whatever it was, that should never happen out of a timeout. Good coaches don't do that shit. So that pissed me off. Um, And the other guy, you know, I I talk about having beef with Cam Johnson just because he's been bad. Someone tweeted today, and I thought this was crazy, but I don't know if I can argue it. Joe Harris was better in his stint with Brooklyn than Cam Johnson has been this season. What do you mean in his stint? Joe Harris is guess, pretty good with Brooklyn. What do you mean? So you mean last right. year? So Joe Harris is was Joe Harris's best with Brooklyn better than Cam Johnson's best with Brooklyn so far? Absolutely. That is crazy to me. That's wild. And I'm I, you know, just that's just crazy. By the way, um Spencer Dinwiddie had responded to the NBA Central tweet that had his stats. And then uh, he just wrote, this was today, he wrote, because they showed his worst field goal percentage of the year, and then he wrote TS percentage with a question mark. What does TS mean? True shooting percentage. True shooting percentage, shot quality, volume. Those are the questions he asked on that tweet. Uh, and then when you're right, someone wrote Jordan Poole better than you, so is Kuzma. Dinwiddie wrote, ironically, uh-huh. current, currently shooting better than both. So shout out to Dinwiddie. Like I said, I like that he sticks up for himself. Um, anything else, Pete, on Nets Twitter that we need to call out? Because if you're a fan of the Nets and you're not on X, you you need to get on 
you need to get on X because it it's so funny to watch Nets Twitter just go at each other and tear each other's heads off when this team is not performing well. Everybody gets the blame and everybody stands like like you have Sean Mark stands standing up for him, Jacques Vaughn stands. I'll bet few and far between standing up for him, Joe Sy fans. Then you have Mikhail Bridges stands and you have, you know, Cam Thomas stands just, and, and for every stand, there's like a hundred people going at that guy. So anything else on Nets Twitter that you've noticed that is worth, worth bringing up? Yeah. I, the Cam Thomas crew are insufferable. <laughs> a couple of people I even fuck with that I like, I don't even know if I should throw their names out, but they drive me insane. It's like every stat is about Cam Thomas. It's like, bro, I get it. Yes, you should be starting. Chill. Just wait two weeks. Like, just relax. My God, man, I, I can't take it. It's like they're. It's almost like a KD stand. That's what it feels like to me, man. It's sad. I like these people too. It's people that I fuck with. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of it's kind of wild. And uh, shout out to Eric Slater, by the way. He's had some some great tweets. He posted the clutch stats for the Brooklyn Nets. Have you seen this? I have not. So Mikhail Bridges has the most clutch stats. That's the final five minutes of games within five points. Mikhail he said, Bridges. By the way, has, he's second in the NBA in clutch points. By the way, uh, fifty nine attempts. He's shooting fifty four percent field goal percentage in clutch. 38% from three. Not bad. Cam Thomas is second in attempts with 29 field goal attempts. He's 24% from the field, 11% from three. That is where Cam Thomas needs to get better. Cam Thomas has not been great to close out games. Yesterday against the Clippers, there were a few threes that he just bricked. He, I, I like Cam Thomas a lot. I think pound for pound, he's the best scorer on this team. He needs to be better in, in crunch time with his decision-making. Because through three and a half quarters, he actually had a, a solid game yesterday. Um, in terms of uh, he was he was sharing the ball. I, I just want to get his stats up real quick because he didn't he didn't play terribly yesterday. Did he have seven assists or something like that. It might yeah be he, he had he had twenty points. He had six assists. He was eight of seventeen from the field. So so one one shot under fifty percent. Uh, three or four from the line. He did have four turnovers, but he he's sharing the ball a little bit. Where he lost it was that fourth quarter. I don't have the stats in front of me, but he was not good in that fourth quarter. So it makes sense that his field goal percentage is 24% in crunch time. The next guy, Cam Johnson, 29 attempts, 38% from the field, 20% from three-point range. The, the difference for me between Thomas and Johnson is Thomas in the first three quarters is lighting it up. And Johnson yeah. is not. <clears throat> in the fourth quarter against the Clippers – he was four for nine, over over three from three, two turnovers, one assist. He was a minus twenty six though, and, and and you you can kill him a little bit for that, but he also had twenty points at, on the on in the game. Cam Johnson had nine points, right? So so maybe Cam Thomas has not been as clutch as Cam Johnson in terms of stats wise. But no one's fearing Cam Johnson offensively. No, no, no one has to do much to, to get him off his spot. Cam Thomas, for the most part, before that fourth quarter, he was pretty much cooking in that game. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I digress. It's been a long podcast. Let's let's close it out, Pete. Uh, any final words for the listeners? you have any shout-outs or, or anything you want to promote? Yeah, I got two things I want to promote. Uh, first thing, our guy CJ Holmes had his first big story. 
for the Daily News. Check it out. He did a story on Dennis Smith Jr. Shout out to C.J. Holmes. Uh, I, I, I read it. It was awesome. It was, it was a nice piece. It talked about, you know, how Dennis Smith Jr. can really be himself with Brooklyn and how he was kind of the scapegoat in, in Dallas when it didn't work out with him and Luca. Yeah, great article. Great job. Great job, buddy. Uh, I did a podcast with, with uh, Cash from Spaces this week. Check it out. I've been uploading, I think, an episode every six days. So, yeah, check out at Nefengino on Twitter, on X, and uh, that's it. Let's go, Nets. Sounds good. Let's go, Nets. I want to shout out to everybody who listened today. Uh, shout out to Claude Smith, Amy Cashmore, Saint, and Luigi Dabber457 for commenting. Claude, I promise you we'll get to your comments in the next episode. Uh, I think I think me and Pete just, just sort of – we got caught up in, in all the, the Nets hoopla and all the charade, but uh, – what you get on this podcast is is raw emotions from from two guys who have spent a lot of time watching the Nets, going to games, caring about this team. It's it's not like when the buzzer sounds, we're done. We're we're on Nets Twitter, we're on X, we're on Instagram, we're looking at stats. Uh, we we like like I said, life is is definitely not as good when when the Nets are you know in in ruin like they are right now. So oh, I gotta um, say one thing, last thing. I'm gonna be at the Nets game tomorrow against the Knicks. So if anyone could recognizes me, you know, because I'm famous now, don't be afraid to say hi. We'll chop it up for a little bit. That's all. Yeah. Big, big <laughs> Nets game. Ending. Big Had Nets game against there. the Knicks. Uh, Pete will be there. Uh, so say hello. And once again, thanks for listening to everybody. And we will catch you on the fireside.